The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello and welcome to the European Patent Bar, a podcast from the European Patent Office. Today we will be discussing the adaptation of the description, a topic which is provoking a variety of opinions among the profession and sometimes different views in the boards of appeal. My name is Matthias Ziegern and I am presiding judge at the High Regional Court and presiding judge at the local division of the Unified Patent Court. Joining me for an after-work chat is Grégoire Desrousseaux. He is a European patent attorney and also a French litigator who practices before the EPO and French national courts. Grégoire has experience from many pan-European disputes and also teaches IP law at SIP. Hello, Matthias. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Grégoire, Article 84 EPC requires, in my point of view, that the claims shall be clear and precise and be supported by the description. So from my point of view, it follows that the claims and description must be in conformity, leaving no doubt whatsoever about what is claimed. If the claims are clear in themselves, however, they can become unclear if the description contains statements contradicting the wording of the claim. Therefore, I think the description cannot be ignored. That also follows from Article 69 EPC that provides that the extent of the protection conferred by patent shall be determined by the claims, which shall be interpreted in light of the description and drawings. So if the patentee has disclaimed certain subject matter, by excluding it from the claim language, the claims are rendered unclear if the specification continues to assert that this disclaimed subject matter still forms part of the invention. And therefore, the description should be adapted to prevent this kind of disconformity and uncertainty. And this is the written law since 1973. So, Gregoire, can you please explain to me why the EPO is having this discussion with some stakeholders now? Well, I must admit, uh, I do not really understand because, because I've always considered this to be mandatory and not an option. There was further refinement in the guidelines in 2021, but at the time, my understanding was that this was more a sort of clarification of the existing practice. So in my view, well, I always expect the EPO to tell me, well, if you amend the claims, then you should adapt the description. When you're summoned to a proceedings in a position, then you're told as the proprietor, well, you should prepare an, an amended description. And I've always expected that this would be asked from me during the proceedings. So I was always prepared to do so. So I don't really understand the why this discussion is stemming up now. I see. Can you please explain in more detail to me when and how such a situation arises that makes it really necessary to adapt the description? Maybe the easiest solution is to take an example. Assume you have a written description and you start with a broad claim and in the description you have a statement that you could have an alternative with A and B. A or B is just in the description. And then during examination or during a position, then the, the claim is somewhat limited and the uh, patent proprietor or the applicant makes it clear that, well, he wants to distinguish over A. Well, in that case, 
then in my view, if the protection is only on the B part of the alternative, then the patent proprietor should clearly state in the description, look, I'm not interested anymore in A, and A is not supposed to be covered by the wording of the claim. So when you get into court, then or when you look at the patent as a competitor, then you know that the wording of the claim may not cover A and does not is not supposed to cover A, whatever the wording of that claim is. And in those circumstances, then you really need to adapt the description. Okay, I understand this example, which seems quite straightforward. What about when we have language in the description like may? Well, then the question is, if this is just an option because it was a dependent claim, then, then that's fine. But then if that becomes part of the main claim, then that should be deleted or changed to make sure that this is not an option anymore. This is now in the main claim, and this should be reflected in the description. Well, that's my view. That's how, what I always expected the EPO to ask. So that would be the same situation. Critics claim that it's too much of a burden to adapt the description in each and every case, as only a small fraction of the granted patents, which is true, will be litigated. Do share this. Well, let me give you my opinion as a litigator and as someone who advises clients. Now, it's true that only a small fraction of the patents are litigated. Good, that's fine. But this means you, you you still need to do the job. And with the same reasoning that you don't need to do the job because only part of the patents are litigated, you could also suggest that, well, there is no need to do a proper examination because anyway, there is only a small part of the patents that are going to be litigated. So why would you care doing the examination for all the other ones? Now, this used to be the old French uh, solution. And you could very well say that there is no point in spending all this time in discussion with examining divisions because the court can do the job at the end of the day for the small proportion of cases that go to litigation. Now, the point where I believe this is really not true is that you need legal certainty. You need legal certainty, and legal certainty is in Article 1 of the protocol under Article 69 EPC. It says there should be legal certainty. And legal certainty means that you should do the job, you should adapt the description, you should have a document which is fully clear, even for those patents that don't, don't go to litigation. And the other way to see it is that, well, only a small fraction of the patents are litigated. But then an enormous fractions are not litigated. It doesn't mean that people don't look at them. So competitors look at patents. The public look at patents, and the public needs to know whether that patent covers what they're doing or not. And you, for the vast majority, you don't have the help of the court for telling you what is in the patent. And I think it is all the more important that legal certainty exists for the vast majority of patents that are not litigated. I see. So in particular, if you look at the landscape um, of patent courts we have at the moment without the UPC, this legal certainty provided by judges is legal certainty provided by the French judge, by the German judge, by the Italian judge. Actually, you don't have any legal certainty because they could have different views on the problem. Well, they could have different views, so you need to have so you need to have a document that is as clear as possible, and that's helpful for the public. And I believe that's also helpful for the judges. And if we want to diminish the degree of uncertainty, if we want to have consistent decisions, then maybe decisions difference in the decisions arise from the claim construction. And the more the adaptation, the more the the pattern is clear, the more we have we will have consistent decision. The more we will have legal certainty. But isn't it true that the patent courts, uh, for example, in Germany, have found solutions for the problem of, so to speak, unadapted descriptions? The German Federal Court of Justice said in occlusion device 
that a part of the description which does not reflect the claim language is not to be taken into account when interpreting the claims. So why do we still need to adapt in each and every case as this case law can be adapted even without the judge because now we have the case law? Well, it's true that you have the case law and if you look at it from the French perspective, the French courts will also consider the file wrapper history and if you have a statement from the patent proprietor that he renounces part of the description, that may diminish the risk in certain cases. What I would say here is that we have different courts with different practices, and we may have different views from different judges. And we, I think we need certainty in all cases. And this is all the more the case for the many more patents that are not litigated and which are licensed or for which there are license attempts, attempts to grant a license. So we need certainty, even if there are solutions which the judge share, we need certainty. And your argument is to provide the certainty by adapting the description in the first place as long as it's in the hands of the EPO. Well, the argument would be the clearer the document, the patent document is in the first place, the easier it will be for the public, for competitors, for judges to understand what is really the patent and the, the more certainty we will have. So is this the reason why the EPO insists on this? Also, some cases have gone into a different direction. The view I have is that the EPO is right in making every effort they can to increase the quality of patents. The quality is a concern for a majority of users of the patent system. And that concern was clearly expressed to the EPO. And quality is not only having a good search and a good examination or a thorough discussion during a position, but quality is really at every stage of the process. And that includes adaptation of the description. Now, you mentioned the, the T cases. Now, there are a limited number of T cases, which I see as a limited number compared to a vast majority of cases which are consistent and request that you adapt the description. Uh, we all know there are some maverick decisions. And we all know as representatives that, well, some of the decisions are isolated and they could also result from the specific facts of the case. And, and we usually tend to consider the majority of decisions. And that's where I believe the uh, some isolated T cases do not change the situation. And maybe perhaps there are some quirks of the personalities involved as well. Well, that might always be the case, and you never know what the representatives argued. I think that critics further claim that adapting the description would lessen the chances for successfully arguing an equivalent patent infringement at a later point of time. Do you agree? Again, I don't fully understand the criticism. If you have an embodiment and then you drop it from the protection, then there is no literal infringement. So that's the point where you've adapted the description. So far, so good. Now, you turn to equivalence. And equivalence is a matter of national law or UPC law. And then you have the tests or the various tests for equivalence. And in my understanding, in all the different tests that were created for equivalence, there is always sort of a test which says, well, you as the proprietor, you are not allowed to claim something which is in the prior art or which is too close to the prior art. So the test is not simply, this is not covered. The test is something which is more subtle, which says, well, how far can you go beyond the scope of the claim? An adaptation of the description is simply saying, well, that part is not covered it doesn't run into the equivalence because it simply says that part is not covered. 
And that still gives you room for arguing that something else may very well be covered by the, the test for equivalence. And I think the more clarity, the more certainty you have in the description, the easier it is to adapt the test so that you know what is not covered. And that doesn't tell you how far from that you can go. It simply tells you this is not covered, but this leaves you room for the equivalence. So I don't really understand the, the criticism. Maybe the criticism is peculiarly linked to the German practice, which has been overturned by the Federal Court of Justice, but maybe not each and every litigator is aware of this fact. So the former practice of the lower courts was to, when assessing equivalence, to search in the description on anything leading to the embodiment which should be equivalent. If they didn't find it, they said it's not equivalent. And maybe that's the argument to have as much in the description as possible. Well, I'm not sure I understand the, all the subtleties of the German case law, but if you take again the example, assume you have A or B. Now, you disclaim or you say A is not covered anymore. Now, if you have C, then you should still apply the test for equivalence and say, well, where is C? Is C more related to the invention or is C more near to the prior art? And this is the, uh, the matter of equivalence. It's not a matter of literal infringement. So I still feel there, there should be an adaptation. So, so the argument is if C is closer to A, which is still claimed, then it could be a candidate for equivalence. And if C is closer to B, which had been disclaimed before, then it's rather not a candidate. I think that's part of the test for equivalence. The test for equivalence is you can go beyond the wording of the claim and beyond literal infringement, but at some point of time, you must stop. You must stop if you start covering something which is the prior art or something which is disclaimed or something which is too near the prior art. So that test has to be applied in every single case, in my view. And if you know what has been disclaimed, for sure, that makes it easier for the judge to apply the test for equivalence. But okay, anyhow, you have to be very careful when amending the description and also when amending the claim language. Is there any time frame to be extra cautious? Well, I would say you need to be extra cautious at every single step. The risk may be a different one. If you amend the description during the priority year before doing the, uh, the, the filing at the EPO or the PCD filing, then the risk you run is the risk of losing the priority. If you amend the description during examination or position proceedings, then the risk is an added matter issue. So the risk is a different one. But I mean, it's the responsibility of the, of the proprietor or of the applicant to just amend the description. At every stage, this is his responsibility and he should be aware at every stage. And when the EPO says... I have a suggestion for the claim language, then they always make it clear that this is only a suggestion. And so the, the proprietor is expected at every single stage to be aware that there, there will be legal consequences to any adaptation. And everyone should know it. And everyone knows it, actually. And my feeling is that the majority has not that big problem with the new approach of the EPO. Well, I never faced any real problems. I mean, maybe you have a problem when it's uh, midnight and then the oral proceedings have been going on for the whole day and you like to just go back to the written proceedings for doing the adaptation. But that's more a Let's say case by case or practical problem than anything else. I've never faced people who had an issue of principle in, in adaptation of the description. So thanks, Gregoire. Just before we go, what are your hopes for the future? What do we expect? Well, I mean, someone a lot more skilled than I am said, I expect every man to do his duty. So the duty here is on applicants and proprietors, examiners and users to make their job with the highest possible quality, as we said. And that's at every stage of the process. And in my opinion, this includes adaptation of the description as well. Ah, hear that? 
they're ringing the bell on us, calling last orders. So it's time to wrap it up. We discussed the need for adapting the description, a topic which is provoking a variety of opinions. Gregoire, however, reinforced my opinion that the law requires, for good reason, that the description is to be adapted in cases where the claims are amended and that all players are expected to do their duty in this respect. Thanks to you for listening. The EPO regularly publishes fresh podcasts on new technologies, studies into the economic impact of patents, as well as advice for innovators. So listen out for more podcasts soon. But for today, from Gregoire and myself, it's... Au revoir. Ciao. Tschüss. Servus. Cheers, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation, at epo.org or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's Talk Innovation.